am Aaron Harvey. And I'm Rhonda Elizabeth. We are your hosts for The Dap Project, an exploration of culture and politics through the Black man's most telling and nuanced gesture. The Dap Project conversation that you are about to hear brings together two good friends from the Mecca, Howard University, to discuss how they influence culture directly through facilitation and training or indirectly through music. They discuss their disparities that they observe in their respective corners of our hometown, the District of Columbia, and their personal experiences with the global pandemic, COVID. And of course, their first memories of Dap. Our guests, Olatosin Burrell and Aaron Abernathy, also known as Olu and Ab, injected the DAP project with doses of poetry and vulnerability. We appreciate their contribution to the culture. Welcome to the DAP project. Very excited to welcome a fellow AA Brian to the DAP project and uh, also Olu uh, yeah. uh, and Aaron Apernathy are joining us for the DAP project today. So welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank for you. Yeah, thanks for having us on. Super excited to have you here today for a host of reasons. The DC connection, the HU connections that you guys share, the HBCU connections that you guys share, then all of us are here in the district now. But there is one question that we start every interview with. And that is, what is your first memory of DAP? Olu, why don't you start us off your first memory of DAP? Uh, my first memory of DAP. Um, you know what? It would have to be high school. Um, I'm trying to figure out there were things that happened before. Actually, no. And, you know, let me, let me go back. Elementary school, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, watching Will Smith and Jazzy Jeff dap each other with the ch- going back that I think that was early that was like 91 92 so I was like mm-hmm. 11 or 12 and that was that was a signal to me that that was like cool and that's how you greet your, your cool friends right that's probably my earliest memory of it if I if I'm being honest okay mm, that's a good question uh-huh. first memory of that I feel like it had to be like at a wreck in Cleveland somewhere probably watching some kids dap each other up and coming up to me like to get me dap and me probably not knowing what was going on it's just trying to boop or something and i was like that's probably when i discovered like what dap was and that it was like kind of like a thing that black people did mm-hmm. so you hung out at the rec centers in cleveland that's where you grew up yeah yeah around what age would you think probably like around nine or ten okay so that was like the, like witnessing it more than participating in it or both no both like at the same time like you know i'm used to like you know this and people yeah. hitting you with this and it's just like oh all right something new right, right. <laughs> yeah, that's funny we, i think that's the first when you said the, the rec you know mm-hmm. we, we called it rec center we called it uh i just think about basketball practice i remember hearing yeah. distinctly hearing i think it's houdini that sang freaks come out at night oh, yeah. probably eight or nine years old going to basketball practice i was a chubby kid back in the day and i remember hearing that song being played and looking yeah. across the basketball court and seeing like the guys, the older guys, teenager guys, you know, <laughs> carrying on. I don't know if it was that going on, but I'm sure it was. Right. It took me back to that memory when you said the wreck. That like, is so specific. And it, it was Houdini in the back. The, the freaks come the freaks out at night. How could you out. forget the first time you hear the song, freaks come out at night if you're That's true, because they like, the freaks come out. <laughs> yeah. And you're looking around like, ooh, they say a freak. Right, yeah. <laughs> That's like a thing. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. If you had to like define what DAP is, what are you doing? Why would you define what that gesture is? I think respect. It, and it's cool because it's like respect for your fellow man that you might not even know. Yeah. Like I have no reason to disrespect you. So I'm just yeah. going to give you some respect off the bat, you know? 
Yeah. yeah. It's um I I would agree. I think it's respect. I think it's uh recognition. It's like um recognition of a twin soul. I know that that got deep real quick, right? But it's just like when you first meet someone and you dap them, I think that there's a hesitation to have ill will towards that person later on. <laughs> like if your first interaction with them is dap, I think you would like second guess if somebody would say, yo, you shouldn't be dapping that person up. You'd be like, hold on, what? You know, it seemed cool. The vibe was there. Like, I don't, that's where it feels a little bit more like, yeah, okay. Respect, recognition. I see you, you see me. Yeah, we've definitely heard that from um, from a lot of folks as they talk about what dap is and respect is one of the key things that they say. I'm curious how Dap showed up in, in your families. Was there a cool ass uncle? Was there an older brother or some older figure who wanted to kind of show you the ropes or, or teach you how to do it that showed up in your family? Was it at a family reunion? Was it in the basement? Yeah, I had some cooler older cousins that would do it. We would go to like family reunions and you know, you see people having a good time and and uh, you know, I think everybody does have like an uncle or an older black male family member who is uh slightly on the fringe <laughs> right <laughs> but like 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 not on like not like bad but enough so that there is a notice about this person like they're the one playing the freaks come out <laughs> yeah, they're the, they're the they're one the who's one not allowed to touch out. the boom box like don't use them they're gonna sneak they they're gonna stick their cassette in there so let them play their stuff the cassette yeah you know they the ones that yeah. smuggled the drink into the drop <laughs> they were the ones taking a nip <laughs> yeah quick like you know, yeah what's exactly that? exactly oh. they come in smelling a little different <laughs> yeah clandestine like what, what's going on like yeah yeah i, I move with olu i feel it's um older cousins for me it was older cousins you know and there was um been a big family so especially when you know it's nine i have what well, i have nine cousins you know what i'm saying father's side and i got like man infinite cousins on my mother's side because infinite like, yeah there's a lot of cousins on as far as i can see <laughs> yeah there's a lot of them um but you know you hang around them especially the older ones and they got a different type of vibe to them and they kind of like get you together like Come over here with that proper handshake. Yeah, man, like that. Come on now, you black, like we gotta get you right, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was like, that was young too, like, you know? Mm-hmm. They we gotta get you right. early on like that, you know? Right. Like think about like what we do with like little kids. You'd be like, come over here. Like, let me show you, do your hands like this. about the levels because you mentioned the um the handshake but we know that dap can look different there's level one we've heard level one through four so what's y'all's take on on the levels i think like it um the best example i could give is olu's my brother so like if i come to olu's house and he's having an event like if i dap olu up i'm gonna give him a hug on top of it you feel what i'm saying Mm -hmm. so this is olu's people i feel like they could get a hug too possibly possibly Possibly. It depends on the aura. You know what I mean? Uh, That's right. That's right. You got to sniff them out. Yeah, they got an aura to them. You know, somebody coming off a little stiff, we just keep them at the shake. Mm -hmm. I'm like, the proper shake. The proper shake. (laughs) (laughs) Does that mean, though, that things might be a little awkward? You know, oh, that's the guy gave the handshake. Let me a little distance. You just, you never know. But, like, I feel like if you are an extension of Olu and Olu is my guy 
And I could tell that this is Olu's guy as well. Yeah. It's going to be a different level. Yeah. I would say the same thing. I, I don't know. It's like, it's rare, right? I, I don't see too many, like, false starts when it comes to, like, the level of DAP. It feels yeah. sometimes like people are, like, you know, you look and you're just like, all right. And sometimes, again, you pick up on the aura, the way in which somebody introduces you to them. Mm -hmm. And there are signals that we pick up subconsciously, right? So if Ab comes over the house and there's somebody there, Ab can probably tell off Rake if I forgot the person's name because if I introduce Ab first, like, <laughs> this, is, this is Ab. Or I'd be like, yo, and he'd be like, yeah, my name's Aaron. And then they say the name and I'm like, and so he can tell, like, <laughs> <laughs> so so he might get the closed palm like hey how you doing good day. <laughs> how you doing like just you know because there's just a different way in which you you know you introduce people and and whatever superlatives you put before their name right this is my main man this is my my friend from way back like we go back to that and then it's like oh, okay because that's that's yeah. a signal even to remember i told you about you know straight that yeah. one would be like oh i gotta give it up yeah, yeah. <laughs> i like how you i've never thought of that olu but it's so true that we do put that that little bit of intro before yeah. it's my home girl this is my sister friend this is my yeah. sissy from yeah. so and so but I wonder if that's a cultural thing, too, or if all cultures do that or if it's just a thing that is common in black culture. But, you know, you're right. I haven't thought about that, but you're right about that. Uh, if I can give you a little bit of scientific context without getting too boring, if you like. Oh, okay, yeah. just a little Absolutely. bit. Absolutely. <laughs> just, just a minute. Just a little bit. So black people are typically what's called high context cultures. Right. And so high context, when we naturally relate to each other, and maybe this comes from a lot of, you know, our family, you know, abs from the Midwest. Um, and so I call Aaron Ab. That's like the name for, for him that, that I call him. Um, and, you know, but I know we both have family members. And so you, you, when you introduce people, it's like, who do you, who are you and how do I know you? So there's a book called The Highly Sensitive Person by a woman named Dr. Elena Ron. And in her first chapter, she talks about linking and ranking. Um, and so with Black people, we tend to link. Like, what do we have in common? And that's like the baseline for our conversation. Because we want to know who you are. But within the context of American society and Western civilization, the way that we have been taught to network is by saying, what do you do? What are you known for? What do you do professionally? Where'd you go to school? And all those are low context because there's no skin in the game. Right. It's, uh, and that's the ranking part. Like, where do you fit in within the social hierarchy? But with black folks, we don't naturally try to be like, am I better than you? It's like, where are you from? Oh, so if I meet somebody who says they're from Ohio, I'll say what part because in the back of my mind, I'm like one of my best friends, Ab, is from Cleveland. So if they say Cleveland, I'm going to automatically have something to talk about because right. that's where the connection is. Right. Um, and so we tend to gravitate towards that and it becomes more familial because we are really trying to build bridges of connection between each other because it's not about like, well, what can you do for me? Because we're not yeah. looking for naturally, not looking for like a professional, who can you introduce me to or what can you get business out of you? Not normally, right? Or in low risk situation so do we ever dap outside the culture did the white folks get dab did uh, <laughs> nah, anybody else get dab besides your fellow afro-american black man uh who else gets it if anybody it depends and what's different about it i feel like black people just cold you know? <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, some others that show up, they'll surprise you. Yeah. Yeah. The story that I picked up, because this has been an evolution and this has been a revelation for yeah. me throughout the Depp Project. Um, I was pretty much anti-white Depp. And I've told this story of how I accidentally gave a white parent Depp. My daughter and his daughter in class together, we were on the soccer field. We greeted each other and I shook his hand, but it turned into the Depp. And I was like, man, I don't want to give him Depp. That's, that's my brother. And that stuck with me. And then there was another instance in a park where a teacher that I was a co-worker with were colleagues and we'd known each other five years. We both taught at the same charter school. And I saw him after not seeing him for about four years at this park, immediately walked up to him, gave him Dap and the brother man hug. And it felt as natural as if I was dapping up my best friend from way back when. And so when that happened, we had a conversation with somebody, Rhonda, and it was like, Dap is about that relational history, that what history do you have with a person? Black people, what we have is we know we got something coming just because of the melanin in our skin. Absolutely. White folks, we don't have that. But because <laughs> I was, you know, in the trenches of that charter school with this man for five years, we did have yeah. a relationship. Yeah. We did have a similar bond and purpose in life. And that's why I felt so natural versus we just at a soccer game. And I don't even know if our daughters really get along like that. <laughs> <laughs> you ain't but, coming to my house. <laughs> but the even deeper part of that is we have come to each other's houses and we've had a drink here and there. We've had a dinner here and there. And that's building relationship, right? So I think it was an accidental death at the soccer game, but because we had that little bit of history that's building, it naturally happened. But my mind didn't like the fact that it naturally happened. You had an intimate moment. Yeah, intimate moment, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that's cool, though, you know, because like my homeboy Bill, he's white. I dap him up, but like my brother, we've done music together for over 10 years. Like he calls and checks on me, checks on my pops, you know what I mean? Like he, he's my brother. So like, I'm a dap him, you know what I mean? Like I got Romy Davide in Rome and like I got my band in Spain, like those are my brothers and they're not, one of them is African, so he a brother and we be like, Connected, like, yeah, they my brothers, you know, but they don't dab me, they hug me. And I was like, all right, well, you know, that's how they get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I would agree. It, it, it's like there has to be a threshold for a person outside the culture. And, and I think that's what you all just described. Like, what type of history do you have to have, right? Like, when you meet each other, you know, Black person or Black person, there's there's the, the shared history that we can see just by virtue of the fact that I know that we, we, we have similar experiences in the world. We, we might be viewed by the world in much the same way. And so that history is already there. But when it comes to dapping people outside of the culture, Culture, there's usually the threshold that has to be crossed of what type of shared history did we experience together, which leads us to this point. And I think that's what you, you two both described. Like, I think, I mean, I think I've dabbed a, a couple of folks who weren't black before. Uh, one is uh, one of my colleagues from uh, from grad school. We were, you know, and, I, and we went through the trenches. We were both in grad school at the same time. And I, I think my daughter was three months old. His son was one month old and we were both looking at each other like we doing grad school with newborns at home (laughs) (laughs) and so like by the time we finished the program because it was cohort based it was like we brothers like we we confided in each other we had conversation we had real we shared tears we had real conversations and so even to this day it's like yeah and and, and you know what it is and again it's that shared history that we can say we went through something and so that's that feels appropriate I guess that's that's probably the best way to say it.
what y'all first meet? Olu was my RA my sophomore year. That's when I met him for the first time. But I knew of Olu freshman year because I knew he was the campus pal that did poetry. Mm. I didn't know like his name. I just knew that he did poetry. Olu's poetry reflects tenderness and ambition. Here, Aaron reads an excerpt from Olu's poem, The Four-Letter Word. I can finally get the courage to break free from that which binds me, which is fear, distrust, and insecurity. That's why I want to feel like you're holding on when you hold me. Like if you let go a moment too soon, then something terrible might happen. Like a dark night and no moon, or a broken heart with no room for anything new. See, I want to trust you like I do my mother. I want to care for you with no comparison or competition from any other. I want you to think of me when, when any song plays. I want to make you happy for the rest of your days. I want to be with that smile that you get when you, hell, I just want to be the source of your smile. I think me and Olu, we connected because he lived across the hall from us and he was the RA. It was just easier to communicate with him. And I'm a musician and Olu, like, he knows music, you know? So, like, he's a heavy, like, he's an artist in his own right. And we just connected, like, on music, poetry. Like, we went on the, that same year, then we go to, like, Bowie State and win, like... Yeah, we won the first ever talent competition at Bowie State. Right. <laughs> Their inaugural, how it came in there and took first place. <laughs> just took it right from them, huh? Embarrassed yeah. them. Yeah, that was, that was dope. right here yes oh tell us a little bit about that or a lot about that and in particular how dap shows up in uh in the music world oh man that's actually good i am a singer songwriter composer i play piano sing and i tour the world doing music it's interesting to like talk about like dap you go into like sessions or where i feel like um when you're going into the session the person who's running the session kind of delegates like the feeling of the room you know, so like when you come in the room, if the engineer is like warm and welcoming, he might dap you up or he might keep it like so business like and he won't dap you up. He'd be like, hey, what's going on? What do you need? Like he's going straight or she's going straight to like, let's keep this professional. We're not going to make it buddy, buddy. So you can kind of like feel the vibe. And as everybody trickles in, when they're your people, it's, of course, it's like dapping up and it's love. But if you don't know anybody, you're doing a session overseas. Overseas is always different because I feel like people think that black people are just cool, period. Yeah. So no matter where you're going, from Europe to Japan to Australia, like all the places I've been, even deep in Asia, like they're just glad to see you. And they're like, oh, that, you know? <laughs> really? <laughs> so is there a little um, multicultural adapt that's happening in your world as you're yeah, traveling? There's a dap in Europe that it took me a while to understand because they'll slide and then like, this book. Oh, okay, okay. You don't do that yeah. right now. Yeah. But that's what they do. Yeah, you know. Okay. Like and is, is it black Europeans or white folks? These are white Europeans. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, and like, I think one of the coolest apps that I've experienced is like in Asia where they honor you first with the bow and then mm -hmm. they'll, they're like, okay, now we'll do your thing. But like, oh. and so we're going to do my thing first. Mm -hmm. I thought that was cool. 
Yeah. Oh, that's what's up. That's a, a, a level of communication that you don't always see. Because like you were saying, it's respect for their culture and respect for your culture. So you're really telling each other, we're going to honor both of us. We recognize our differences um, and we're going to honor each other in yeah. doing that. Yeah, it, it's, it's cool. Like to go to different places and kind of see, I think probably Asia has been the most honorable place I've been because like just the shoes off and the bowing and you know people coming together. I was in uh, Bangkok. And I was at the mall and the monks were in the mall and people stopped to like bow to the monks and the monks didn't even bow back. Like it was just honor, you know, I go, I'm like, what are the monks doing at the mall? It took some time to explore your online homepage, Aaron, and I noticed in your journals that you open up a lot about relationships with parents, women, yourself. It seems like you're giving your reader level four depth just off the break. You're really welcoming people into your world. Can you talk a little bit about that conscious choice to do that? Oh, man. Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. I think it's kind of just um, who I am and who I've been. And I think it comes with like songwriting, you know, mm-hmm. like to really be a writer is to um, talk about your experiences and what you go through. And um, I feel that like telling my story is telling our stories. And that's where just like when you talk about dapping somebody up or how Olu started earlier in the conversation talking about how black people relate to each other. I think through our stories, everybody in the world relates to each other. You know, that's why it's a universal language, not just as far as like melody hitting your ear, you know what I mean? Or, but also as far as like, you know, rhythm and what the story is saying to you and how it moves you. And that's why like certain words bring people to tears, you know? Yeah. So I feel like when I talk about myself or what I'm going through or, you know, my parents or relationships, um, I always hope that there's someone out there that can relate or someone out there that can see it from a different perspective. Like I never thought about it that way. And now I can see it that way. Mm-hmm. They're great essays. So when we um, air this interview, we'll put a plug out there for people to read them because they are very touching, oh, especially the way you describe um your relationship with your dad and choosing not to play basketball, oh, even man. though <laughs> I told you I'd be reading. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, a lot, like I, especially now with my dad being on home dialysis, like I think I can look back on those things. Like that, that article got picked up by Huffington Post, and mm-hmm. that was like a real. Mm-hmm. It was a cool moment, you know. Mm-hmm. He's like a man, man. So he's like, oh, thank you. But, you know, like, he's not gonna, <laughs> gonna get that. But, like, yeah. I know that he, like, he felt it, you know what I mean? We want our listeners to experience an excerpt of Ab's writing. Here is our Aaron reading an excerpt from Son of Larry. Visit Ab's online home, AaronAbernathy.com, for more of his reflections. Here's Aaron. August 30th, 2016. Son of Larry. In 2008, when I told you I was moving to LA, even though you didn't think it was a good idea, you supported me. You got in my Chevy Trailblazer with me and drove across the country with me on a three-day journey to Los Angeles. After 13 months, when I ran out of money, you flew back to Los Angeles and drove back across the country with me and encouraged me to keep following my music dreams. 
Even when I felt like I failed, you told me I would have never known about what God had for me in LA if I hadn't tried it. And now I know. to you and you're you're also a person who studies people who um wants to understand motivation so that people can really better relate to each other so tell us a little bit about what you do and in particular how does dap show up as a i'm sure you're going to break it down for us oh gosh no pressure (laughs) i think you're going to break down oh man the ends the out the what it says we're gonna we're gonna hear it broken down so it will forever be broke Oh, gosh. Here we go. All right. So uh, the story begins. I'm just playing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. So I'm I'm uh, similar to, to my brother, Ab. Um, I, I find myself, I'm like, occupy the space of a uh, uh, multi-hyphenate, right? So I, I do training and facilitation and consulting. Um, and I also do executive coaching. And I do so for both um, D.C. government, a couple of local universities, and also independently. So um, my roots do not extend from Jamaica, but I've also I've often been compared to a Jamaica for the number of hats that I wear. Right? So you got tree jobs. I got tree jobs, man. <laughs> Please don't kill me, my brothers and sisters from Jamaica. I'm just kidding. So it, it, it's funny being a black man in this space who has a bit of expertise around uh, people and people processing, right? Because, well, first of all, the fact that I have a unique and uh, a unique first name from that hails from uh, Nigeria, the, the arc that I kind of see myself going in is a, let me see if, uh, if Olu, this guy named Olu standing in front of us or talking to me can first show competency and then mastery. And if that's the case, then we can talk about intimacy. Hold on. We just, we just have this reminding. We just we have, have this thing. We have this thing. Uh, we, have this thing. You know, we, we started recording in yeah. March. Look, look, at, look at, you see, what's Aaron doing? Rubbing this his is, forehead. This, this is our 12th. Look, look at the body language. You see the, this is our 12th. Uh, no, <laughs> and Rhonda knows I'm perfectly comfortable, but we... Oh. She knows I'm perfectly comfortable, but I know my fellow fellow black men, when that word comes up, a lot of us, you know, we stiffen up a little bit, but we appreciate you all for getting that word into the DAP project once again. But although you were saying about so, intimacy. Go ahead, Rhonda, what else would you like to say about <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, So no, I'm, I'm, I'm 100% comfortable with, with that because that's how we, that's how you build the, the foundation of any, uh, any healthy relationship, all right? Uh, trust, vulnerability, and intimacy. And that's kind of my calling card with the work that I do because I'm, I, I find myself either talking to leaders or persons who run organizations or people who work within organizations trying to convince them that their people are their greatest asset and this is how you treat them better. And so I spent a lot of time trying to convince people who are task oriented uh, that that will get them so far, but they have to couple that with relationship orientation to get them the rest of the way uh, because people aren't machines. Uh, and people aren't cogs and you know we're all sentient so the way that dap shows up like when i'm doing training with dc government you know there's a lot of people who look like me who are in the class and i mostly train and coach all uh supervisors and above uh within dc government 
And so a lot of, a lot of times I might be the youngest person in the room. And so I'll, you know, I'll, I'll do a training. I'll talk about building a high performing team or emotional intelligence or, or leadership development or managing stress, mindfulness, things like that. And I'll have people who come up to me after class and for my black men and black women, they'll come up to me and the conversations are typically the same. Like, you know what? I really appreciate you and what you do. Right. And it's kind of like there's an unspoken, you know, um, and they, you know, I'll get that, you know, or I'll get a hug or I'm like, are you single, baby? I'm like, I'm, I'm not. I'm married with, which, oh, okay. You know, oh, and so. Oh, that's a, I don't think that's a level of that, though. Well, well, it is. The, the story, well, the story <laughs> that I make up is that they were trying to see if they could introduce me to someone yeah that's definitely uh, intimacy that. but yeah. that's like level 16 dap that yeah. maybe we're not we're not trying to do and i'm but like anyway. you know i just did sexual harassment for management <laughs> did, you, did you pay attention did you take notes um so uh but yeah and um and it's funny because i had pre-covid right uh between january and february i had two different young men around the same age who attended my training say the same exact phrase to me. And I was like, hmm. Which um, phrase was that? So after after I finished training, like they came up to me, he was like, I just wanted to let you know that I see your excellence, brother. Mm. Yeah, like that That was the exact phrase. Two different people. From two different people. Two excellence. different people said, I see your excellence, brother. Yeah. And I was that's, like, wow. That's one of the highest compliments that yeah. you know, a person yeah. can give you. Yeah. And that was, um, they leaned in with the dap and it was a, it was the dap with the, with the half hub, you know, that's mm -hmm. uh and I did not know them an hour and a half before that class, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, and similar to what my brother Ab said, like he incorporates a lot of story into both how he narrates his life on his blog and into his music. And I use a lot of personal narrative when I train because i you know, like Ab says, like a story is our greatest form of communication. It's the oldest form mm -hmm. and our greatest form. Like you, you stand in front of a room and you start off with like once upon a time and people's minds automatically will be like, you about to tell a story mm -hmm. and they pay attention. Mm -hmm. So I use a lot of personal narrative, especially since I'm trying to knock down the resistance that a lot of people come into class with. Cause you know, mm -hmm. some people don't want to be there. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so they're like, uh, I mean, I'm here. And I have to be like, well, I know what you're probably thinking. You're probably thinking you don't need this. And then, you know, you perk up. Okay, you hear what I'm saying? Okay. And I'll mm -hmm. give a personal narrative. And then it's like, oh, okay, I can relate to this person. Mm -hmm. And I can see it switch in their head from I'm going to tolerate this to I, I think I'm going to make a decision to lean in. Mm -hmm. um, and that's when that, that follows that same track, too. Like the competency, the mastery, the intimacy. Uh, just in a different, on a different way. this a little bit and think about an ongoing topic of how to develop anti-racist organizations, how to create climates at work where Black people in particular can thrive, how to create a space where people of color and Black people specifically can show up as their authentic selves. So we think of DAP as being one of the key demonstrations of a Black man being his authentic self.
What's your take on that? Uh, I read somewhere a little while ago, they said that um, since racism is systemic and structural, anti-racism must also be systemic and structural. Mm -hmm. um, and so when I think about like in the wake of, uh, you know, the, the death of George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor and recently uh, Jacob Blake uh, and just to countless others, right? Yeah, um, everyone who has come before them. Everyone who has come before them. Jacob Blake is, he's, he's not. Oh, sorry. Well, in terms of the tragedy around his the shooting, no, I, haven't the shooting. Why I haven't been watching the news. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, he's paralyzed. Yeah, he's, he's, he's paralyzed. paralyzed. Yeah. Um, my, uh, so when I think about that, I think about how the first time in ever, right, right after that, there were so many different brands and organizations that rushed to social media and rushed to their websites uh, to put notices and statements and all this other stuff, right? right? But the problem with doing just that is that there's a difference between motion and action. Right. And I, I adopt that from uh, uh, Atomic Habits, uh, which is a book by James Clear. Uh, and what he says is that like motion can be very performative. Like I'm going like this far. <laughs> oh, look, look, I'm virtue signaling. I, I told you, you know where I stand. But when you want to move towards action, when you want to make sure that you are creating cultures free from violence and free and um, and full of uh, diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging, um, you really have to examine what your culture is. I'll, I'll go to another person. Um, and, I, and I'm sorry if I start to sound like I'm doing a, a, <laughs> a training. No, I know, training we're, we're, no. we're getting it for free. Uh, so this is yeah, it. you are. You are getting it. You are for D free. Um, That's right. Uh, so uh, uh, Peter Drucker, the, the noted leadership guru, says culture eats strategy for breakfast. Mm -hmm. And so I see I often find myself in front of people who are trying to implement a strategy and a culture that will not accept it. Mm -hmm. And so I'm telling you, I'm like, OK, so if I can tell you off rip, I may not say off rip, but I'm saying that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But or maybe you say, might. Or maybe, maybe, I, or maybe you might, I might. Right? You know? To demonstrate how you have to take Absolutely. action instead of just motion. And then yes. you wait to see how it, how it resonates. So tell me more about this rip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they look confused. How, how do you take off the rip? <laughs> <laughs> when do you put it on? Uh, <laughs> or if they just roll with it, right? Or they, they might. They might. Yeah. Um, but it's uh, but if 79% of change management initiatives fail, no matter what, and that's mm -hmm. because the culture isn't ready to accept the change. Right. And so you have to spend a lot of time examining first what exists fully without being diluted by it. Mm -hmm. So you hold up a mirror and say, okay, let's do it easy. You guys like numbers. Let's go to the HR department. Let's look at your attrition rate. Let's look at how many people have left. Do you have any exit interviews? Do you have any data? Whatever that looks like. And how do you recruit people of color? How successful have you been in doing so? What does it look like across your industry? Um, have you interviewed anybody? Where do you find people in uh, what level do they typically exist in the organization? Um, and there's questions and data gathering and all this stuff that you can get, but it becomes a matter of saying, I need to show you this so that you can see where you are. And then I can say, all right, now that you see this place, where would you rather be? If you had no limits, where would you rather be? Let us design what that looks like and then implement it. And what you have to do in order to create a culture like that is you need to make sure those voices are not just represented, but amplified to counteract 
perhaps years or decades of effects of them not being uh, heard or listened to at all. Or thinking and, that death is strange and looking at it as, huh, yeah, what's that yeah, thing that what, you do there? So I tried to do it myself. My hands get cut. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so you're like, yeah. And, and, and speaking of that, right, like when it comes down to culture, one of the tenets of culture, um, so it's three, so artifacts, behaviors, and tacit shared assumptions. A tacit shared assumption is something that's unspoken, which is what DAP is. Like you come in, I, I give you that, depending on what it is, I'm like, okay, I snapped, you didn't snap. Okay, we're from different places. Doesn't make you less cool, but maybe we, maybe you don't do that. Um, I know sometimes people do the, the swoop up and then come that's back right. out and, yeah. it just, and you're just like, oh, you're signaling to people what your level of comfort is and that communicates without the words that, that come across. The official um, definition of that. Well, yeah. there you go. <laughs> the, <laughs> the official definition. Yes, yes. You heard it here first. <laughs> yes, with all the official vocabulary yeah. words. Oh yeah, all of them, I got all of them. <laughs> um, but yeah, but you, you really have to uh, have those, those conversations. And, and what I find comfort in knowing is I don't have to have the answers. I don't. That's not my mm -hmm. job. My job is to have the questions. And the <laughs> questions that I ask are going to be particular to an organization based upon their mission, their vision, their values, their, their system. What, uh, what environment do they work? You know, what does that look like, right? Because that will show up differently. And as long as we're open to different forms of nuance, then that that's going to look different. And so I don't come in there with like a prescription. It's just a matter of saying, okay, what would it look like for people of color, people who look like me to elevate themselves in the organization, perhaps even lead the organization and bring their full self to bear mm -hmm. while working there? Mm -hmm. But you'd be like, well, I, I hope everybody knows they can do that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, feel like they're free to be able to do it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. I think to piggyback up what Olu was saying, even DAP is like, well, there's this Lorraine Hansberry quote where she talks about during that civil rights movement, how we don't need people to be American liberals. We need them to be American radicals. Mm -hmm. like, if you don't understand, if you think it's going to be easy, then you're sadly mistaken. Yeah. You, know? Yeah. Yeah. you know, even being black and like even DAP is radical because the liberal way to shake hands is just the handshake that we, handshake. maybe you know i don't know if they came up with it but it's something mm -hmm. we know as americans to do but i mean what haven't black people taken and made it their own and i think like when you take something and make it your own and you invent something that's radical app is right dap is radical in our research of DAP, we learned Black soldiers in the Vietnam War created unique handshakes in place of the banned Black power fist to convey dignity and pride on the battlefield. We have more history on our website, thedapproject.com, sourced from the National Museum of African American History and Culture. Back to our conversation. What's happening with the NBA stopping their games, that's radical. They said that, all right, you could co-op Black Lives Matters and you could put it everywhere. But once again, you know, we have another situation on our hands and why should we play tonight? What's the mm -hmm. NBA going to do about it? How are we going to put some pressure to make some real change happen? Like to walk off the court, it looks like, all right, it's just some players that make millions of dollars. They can, you know, they're okay if they don't make money tonight or if they get fined. But the statement is just so strong that it's like, nah, we're not playing basketball. Mm -hmm. And 
then you know for the Milwaukee Brewers to be like we're not playing baseball tonight mm-hmm. and then for all the black hockey players to be like the NHL need to do something about it and I believe that they did you know and that's a all like pretty right. much European white league so those and then Naomi happen. brings it into tennis too so yeah. it was gaining that was dope. That was momentum dope. and that yeah. momentum has an impact people sit up straighter when they see that it's not just isolated to one team or one sport but there really is solidarity and then kenny smith gets up and walks off the set so at least in my mind as i'm watching all this happening scrolling through my phone i'm like okay this is this feels good this feels encouraging you know who got next you have to let a movement movements aren't perfect you have to let them happen you know yeah everybody like you know i think of like the southern christian leadership like conference and how they had to make mistakes to find out how to maneuver in the next battle so like it was cool for the george floyd and brianna taylor situation to bring about black lives matter being plastered across streets it started here in dc and then you saw it go throughout the nation and then you know you see we started seeing black lives matters everywhere you know mm-hmm. And for the next step to be, it's cool to put this up and to put it on our jerseys and all of that, but like now we're not playing. Yeah, I know a big, big part of the way the civil rights movement of the 60s really caught fire was after the death or the murder of Emmett Till. Yes. You know, and that's a, a direct parallel to some of the death of George Floyd. And I think about, you know, the powerful music that came during the civil rights movement. And I'm wondering, Aaron, as an artist, um, what are you seeing or feeling in through your art and through your fellow artists? What's what's happening right now? Well, I know for myself, I put out an album in 2017 called Dialogue, which focused on what we talking about right now. You know, like it talked about being a black person in America and what we go through. And, it talks about everything from like redlining to um, not having fair wage at our jobs to the high school to prison pipeline. It talks about a lot of stuff. But I was inspired to do that because I saw Donald Trump going in the office and I was just like, this is about to be bad, you know. And so I think that now I would say like the combination of COVID, we needed COVID because I don't think that Without COVID, you don't get people going out in the streets protesting for the George Floyd thing. It's just that it's polarizing because we're all at home. Yeah. It's not that we don't have anything to do, but like you can't not see that. But when you're in your day to day life and you got somewhere to go, like imagine if that happened and we was going to the club or we were still going out to get drinks and eating. It would be in a news cycle and we would probably be mad and be like, that's messed up. But for everybody to sit there and see it, black and white, you can't avoid that, you know? And so even with it, I think that like, this is a paradigm shift and we gotta ask ourselves like how radical we're gonna be. And so to answer your question, as a musician, I personally think that the party is over, but I might be wrong, you know? Like I think this can spark the, uh, the same way that the 70s brought about like Curtis Mayfield's uh, Curtis album, and then Marvin Gaye's What's Going On and Sly's answer to it, there's a riot going on all in like the span of a year's time. Mm. That could happen or it couldn't. We might be too desensitized. I don't know. 
you know, the music industry. I always give black people a pass in the music industry because a lot of people don't understand that we are not allowed, unless you're independent, you're not allowed to choose the type of music you put out. They will shelf you if you're not given the message that they want to give. And that's why most of the time when it comes to urban airplay or adult contemporary, or more urban airplay, um, there's a certain message. It's the same message, really. You right. hear the same type of song. But it's not their fault because they're like, I think Jasmine Sullivan has said it best when um, Adele put out Hello. She's like, I'm not allowed to sing Hello. They'll shelve that. I got to sing I bust the windows out your car. You know what I mean? Oh, bro, bro, now bro. I get it. Mm-hmm. What, um, now I understand. That's what Cardi B said when she she highlighted, I think, like No Name and um, I might not have been No Name. Uh, she highlighted, what's, what's the girl that signed to um, Ninth Wonder, um, Olu? Uh, Rhapsody. Rhapsody. Yeah. There was another, I think she, Rhapsody, No Name, and there was somebody else. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about, Olu? Yeah. Uh, when they, they were talking about how Cardi B, like, why does her music have to be so ratchet or so this or so that? And she said, well, I tried to do it the other way and nobody paid attention to me. Mm-hmm. He was like, but if you want that type of music, there's a No Name, there's a Rhapsody, and she named somebody else. And she was like, you should go listen to their music. She put it out on her, her IG My and Instagram. Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. But what she's talking about is she's on a major label. Mm-hmm. You know, and the others are not on major labels. Like they might have a um, subsidiary deal, but mm-hmm. you know, Jamla might be like under somebody, yeah. which is Rhapsody's label. But Cardi B is on a major, you know, yeah. and, major <laughs> and you back by, pardon me, but like white money, and you know, mm-hmm. you gonna do what they want you to do. It leads me to think about how um, how black people in particular, and in the context of this conversation, Black men are always fighting to forge your own identity and to um, to be really clear about who you are and who you are not. And that DAP is one of the early indications of saying, this is who I am, this is where I stand, this is how I identify. I don't know about you, so let's see who you are. Like if you're in a training or when you walk into the studio, and they give you DAP or they don't, or they give you a handshake, or they give you a, a DAP plus a hug, plus a, you know, how the fuck are you? Mm-hmm. That off the break tells you where they're coming from. So as, as you're talking about these artists being forced into a box, I think DAP is saying either I'm in the box or I'm not in the box. But it's an ongoing thing. It's something that you do multiple times a day and in multiple spaces or just at least frequently. It comes up that you have to, or choose to say, this is who I am. This is how I identify. This is how I'm showing up to this space, just in those five or 10 seconds. I don't know, it's a, it's a really weird space because kind of like what you're saying, like even with Dappin, it's messaging, you know? Mm-hmm. What happens when you're not in control of your message? Or you can only deliver one message and all the other messages are like kind of hidden. You gotta go find it. seen a lot of changes in DC, definitely in my time here, and definitely Rhonda and uh, Olu in your, your life here. 
as DC is gentrifying and how does that affect maybe the frequency of how often you dab or how what dab means? Do you feel like gentrification plays a role into the meaning of dab? Or, or how you show up as you yeah. walk through neighborhoods that look very different, that have a different mix of people from different backgrounds? I think it, it definitely affects the frequency with which you engage in dab, <laughs> depending on who, the, who you're your counterparts are, especially when you walk through neighborhoods that have experienced radical change, um, right? I think depending on the situation, it's, um, I think I am automatically, this might just be my personality, I'm, I'm also looking for opportunities to like <laughs> make that, that connection. So, <laughs> so I have- So you walk uh, around with your hand up, <laughs> just like ready not, not on, to bring not it on in. Purpose. To bring not it on, in. Not on purpose, to give, give me the real thing. I'm coming in for the real thing, right? <laughs> you know? um, but you know, especially if you find yourself in spaces that were formerly occupied <laughs> uh, as predominantly black spaces mm-hmm. and you find yourself as one of the very few blacks in that new space mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think there is an implication of okay <laughs> you recognize the other person you realize you might be experiencing the same sense of things right mm-hmm. yeah. so so Ron, i know you know because we grew up here mm-hmm. nobody was going to 8th street northeast growing up no Nope. Nobody was going, and you know, too, I mean, and Ab, you know, too, like the very first restaurant, I think that was the anchor in that neighborhood was True Orleans. Yes, True Orleans. yes. True Orleans, like, I spent opened. some time oh, in True Orleans. Hey. You helped me move over there, man. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. Well, you moved over there. I ain't on, what is that, third and, and H. Like, mm-hmm. I used to live over there, like right on F. Yeah, yeah. Like, this is... That was literally the anchor that, and it's and because it was like almost at the base of the bridge, it was like, okay, I'm going back over now. <laughs> like, <it's> like <laughs> you know, but you didn't keep going. Nah. Mm-hmm. Unless you absolutely needed to get to New York Avenue, <laughs> right? To get which out, which is of sometimes fitness. real. Yeah, which you is have sometimes to go to real. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, oh yeah, models, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's and so as they started moving further east. <laughs> right um and new things started coming up you know you you find yourself walking around like man you know and now i realized that in that one corridor there's like four grocery stores mm-hmm. yeah you have giant including a whole foods whole foods yeah and then yeah. the trader joe's just over on the florida avenue yeah, yeah right? that's crazy and then you have union market yeah uh, am i missing one with your avocado uh, toast? I, I am I am not opposed to the avocado toast. Oh, you spend twenty five dollars on bread and avocado. Okay. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. Let me let me clarify. I'm not opposed to making it. Oh God. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going over there to pay for it. Let me, let me, exactly. Let me clarify for the good of the order. Uh, for the no, record. But, uh, for the record. Uh, no, but again, so when you find yourself in spaces like that, you're like, man. If you can have that cluster in this small area, why are there food deserts? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, yeah. I live in Anacostia now. I've been here. I grew up in Northeast uh, Langdon Park. My parents still live over there. I live in Anacostia. I've been here the last 11 years with my family. And uh, Ab lives over in the Deanwood area. Yeah. Right? And so we're like... Food deserts. <laughs> food deserts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no avocado toast. So they told no. me at the Ward 7 meeting, if you want food, go to Ward 6 or go up 8th Street. Yeah. I was just like, well, what about the people who can't get up to yeah. 
And let's just think about what that inherently is saying to you, that we're not going to make sure that we have a grocery store in your neighborhood, but we think we can inconvenience you to send you to a different neighborhood. Of course. And then they put like, they're trying to get 300 people in the DC Eagle. They're trying to make it into a halfway house. And it's like, Mm -hmm. you you'll bring that type of money to our neighborhood for, you know, your privatization, you know, organization. Mm -hmm. So you won't give us any amenities. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a different game. And uh, when when I think about that, uh, automatically when I start having conversations about food insecurity, automatically shift over to access to health as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because... Like, I I remember in a former position that I held, um, I was part of the team that went in to help with the closing of um, Providence Hospital, which was the hospital that I was born in here in D.C. Yeah, my grandfather died there. Yeah. Um, Man, it's, yeah, but when I I realize it now, uh, the only quadrant in um, D.C. that has a hospital is Northwest. Mm Mm-hmm. So and and they're five and they're all in Northwest. You know, when you talk about Washington Hospital Center for, to Sibley to Georgetown, GW, Howard, um, and so when you look at Northeast, Southeast, and Southwest, you know, and, and of course there are lots of different people who occupy all of those other spaces as well. You find that it's like, man, if there's something that really happens that. Uh, that could lead to some type of huge problem, like, I don't know, like COVID. (laughs) Um, Where do you take people? Mm -hmm. Um, And is there, is based upon where their population has been forced to settle or relegated to, is that adversely affecting how, how quickly they're able to get access to their type of healthcare? And we're in this um, global pandemic. And Olu, that has personal meaning for you, if I remember correctly, that you experienced that. Um, DAP is often a sign of encouragement that guys exchange to each other. So I'm curious about how you stayed encouraged during a really difficult time when you were unable to provide for your family. And in fact, everyone was caring for you. So if you don't mind telling us just a little bit about how you stayed up and made it through. Yeah. um, Okay. So, uh, so I, uh, I was, I tested positive for COVID-19 back in April. I was working, you know, part of doing emergency response for, for DC. um, And so I was working in, in an environment where, you know, we didn't have everything we needed to, I guess, remain safe. And so, um, I experienced uh, shortness of breath. I lost my sense of smell. Uh, that was uh, an, an extreme lethargy. Um, and I first began experiencing on April 14th, uh, got tested April 18th, and got the positive results on April 20th. Um, I have to say, like, going through, like, the two weeks I spent in quarantine here in my home, not being able to see or hug my wife or see or hug my children, and like really be able to be around anybody uh, that that has it had a really depressing effect right um even though thankfully you know i, I didn't have to go to the hospital um it was incredibly isolating 
like I would just found myself fortunate that I that I didn't have to go to the hospital. When I was speaking to the doctor, they were just like, if anything, you just try to deal with it at home. Do not come to the hospital unless you absolutely have an emergency. And so um, I was, you know, I spent a lot of time on the phone with, with my folks. Ab was one of the calls I made. Um, I, I spoke to my people. They let me cry with them. They let me, you know, they cheered me up. They gave me words of encouragement. They prayed for me, prayed with me, sent me music. And like that connection is really, is really something I, I never want to, you know, I, I don't think I've ever took it for granted, like actively, but this pandemic um, has caused a lot of um, what I believe. And I, I don't have that, that the depth of science background to talk about it. Um, but there's been scientific proof that, you know, epigenetically we can still feel or experience the trauma of our ancestors who went through chattel slavery. And the reason why I even conjure that up in this moment is I think that's the only time in history where we could not, not even in war, are you not able to be around, uh, you're at least able to bury your dead. I guess that's probably the, the best way to say it. But what what COVID showed without, in addition to health disparity was, you know, nobody was talking about collectively having a funeral on Zoom or not being able to go visit your family in a hospital mm-hmm. or not being able to see somebody take their last breath or have, you know, just the, the restrictions. And I feel like that is going to affect us and we don't know what ways that looks like. And, I'm, mm-hmm. and, and I don't even know what that's gonna look like even for my children who are young. I'm just so fortunate that I, I'm fortunate to be a survivor of it. But I miss, I miss Dap. Like, I miss hugging my folks. I miss dapping up my boys. I miss dapping up family. It just, everything kind of feels so like, can I, can I, should I, shouldn't I? What does that look like? And it's not due to a, a relational issue, mm-hmm. right? It, and that's really difficult yeah. for us who are relational people to say, nah, you can't do that. said something about you kind of presenting and two different black gentlemen had come to you and said like it was excellent or what did they say to you uh i see um i see your excellence brother yeah and then the fact that they said it and then dapped him up and hugged him those are the moments that and i think that like black women do it differently like when they're like i see you i see your hair or you killed that speech or you wearing that, or you know, like y'all. Mm-hmm. Hey, yeah, yeah. There's just that's a different level that I don't yeah. so cool that we we don't give it up like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I think it's cool that you brought that up because those are the moments for black men, especially. Yeah. that we lean on we don't have anything those are the moments that if he yeah. has a bad say you have a bad presentation or whatever yeah those two gentlemen those moments will make you go forward into the next presentation yeah. like yeah. i could do this because they told me that i could or they told me yeah. that you know black excellence or i was this was excellence or you know what i mean yeah. I was, those those moments when people dap you the same thing happens yeah. to me when I do a show and I come in the crowd, somebody just dashed me up and hugged me like, you killed that. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. keep going. Like, I, I expect to see you on billboards and on the charts and all of that. Like, those are the things yeah. that that type of dap, that's dap on a whole new level that, like, yeah. that you know, like, I'm doing something. Right. Yeah, it, 
And I'm so glad you brought that back up because that's, uh, like I said, it stands out vividly in my head primarily because, you know, it hadn't happened before. Like, you know, people say like, you did a great job. That was a great presentation, right? Which is a compliment of your p performance, right? But when someone says, they attribute it to who you are and how you show up and how you are experienced, that's, I see, I see who you are. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing and it's powerful. And I want you to keep doing that because we need to see more of that. And you're giving them energy. You're giving them energy yeah. to like take that and be like, I could go do that with what I got. You know? Yeah. 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 It's That's almost an acknowledgement of, um, yeah. of the principle of Ubuntu. Ubuntu. Yeah. I yeah. am because you are. Yeah. So because you are being excellent, I can take that energy. Yeah and infuse it in what I'm doing. And yeah. I will try to be excellent in the same yeah. way. And then we're like yeah. being excellent for our people. So it's not yeah. just an individual excellence, but to our, you know, this theme that we're talking about of having um, a community, it's a collective yeah. excellence. Absolutely. And um, thinking about DC pre-gentrification when it was Chocolate City, it was yeah. very much about that. It's yeah. if you showed up for your elementary school, you did really well. You were showing up for your neighborhood, yeah. for your church, for yeah. your your daddy's men's club, your mm -hmm. mama's group, your grandma's <laughs> yeah. friends, you know, that she yeah. knew back in Mississippi. Uh, it was a very much of a yeah, yeah. It was you very put on much for of everybody. A, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You you showed up for everybody, you did well for yeah. everybody. And so there's very much that I see your excellence and in your excellence, I see myself, I see potential yeah. in myself and, and all that I think you still see in the DAP as well. Absolutely. Yeah. All of that is communicated in, the, in that simple gesture. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. It's so powerful. Well, that's all to you guys. This is great. That project. Thanks so much for making the time. Uh, sounds like you have a full schedule. We wish your father the best of health. Um, so thank you for, for spending this time with us. Thanks, Alou, for saying yes. When I dropped you that <laughs> message on Facebook, I was like, hey, check out the DAP project. It's like, yeah, I'm going to get them. <laughs> <laughs> so here we are. So I'm yeah. delighted that, uh, right. that you guys chose to be with us this evening. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks, thanks for dropping the science too, and the math, and both the of science. you, the math and the science. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah and on that, I'm just gonna say, um, Aaron and Rhonda, I see your excellence. You've been listening to The DAP Project with hosts Rhonda Henderson and Aaron Stallworth. All opinions expressed in this podcast are that of our guests and may or may not be shared by The DAP Project. Follow us on Facebook. Search The DAP Project on Instagram, the.dap.project, and online at thedapproject.com.